are listening to Meet and Write, a podcast that dives into liturgical worship and how communion really begins after church. Well, welcome once again to another episode of Meet and Write. We're super excited to have once again with us Father Daniel Ava Moses. We had a blast on previous episodes with him, uh, so we uh, nagged him again uh, to have him bless us and uh, chat with us again. So we're very happy to have you again with us, Father. Thank you so much, Father. It's my pleasure and it's my blessing. Well, we want to talk about other big subjects. So we talked about a lot of things in the past, but I kind of want to jump to the very end of liturgy and kind of throw out a big million-dollar question for you. One of the last things that we hear in the liturgy is the confession part. And the priest says something that he says this. He said that the body and blood is given for us for salvation, remission of sins, and eternal life to those who partake of him. Like we hear that every Sunday, and we kind of just put it one ear and out the other. But we're literally saying that this body and this blood that we're about to partake of in three minutes is given for salvation, remission of sins, eternal life to those who partake of him. What on earth does that mean? And like, I, I know, again, this is a big question, but but how? How is this this bread that became the body and this wine that became the blood? How is that giving the how is that giving me eternal life? Yeah, so this is a very important question, um, and it's great if someone focuses on that and tries to search out the answer because uh, the true body and blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is the culmination of liturgy. Um, and so it's very important that I understand what the centerpiece of the liturgy is. So the holy body and blood of Jesus Christ is just one of many powerful sacraments which allows us to participate in God and journey towards eternal life. So I'll read uh, two nice patristic quotes um, to demonstrate this point. So they're both going to be from St. Cyril of Alexandria. The first quote says, If they have the desire to be stronger than decay and to strip off death itself, which fell on us because of transgression, they will have to come to participation in the one who can give life, who both destroys decay and nullifies death. And the other quote says, The bread from heaven, that is, Christ, nourishes us to eternal life, both by supplying us with the Holy Spirit and by participation in his own flesh, placing into us participation with God and destroying death that comes from the ancient curse. So we see here that um, participation in God is the uh, main theme in these quotes, and that's what the body and blood of Jesus Christ is allowing us to do. It allows us to participate in God. You know, and participation is a word that we usually don't think of when we're thinking or talking about God. We usually like to just come to church for a blessing or because we got this issue, and we just want God's presence in our life, and we use words like that. But to say that we are participating with God, what does that actually mean? Yeah, so um, humans can participate in God, and so what it means, um, it's it's a centerpiece of uh, Christianity, the idea of participating in God. Um, and I want to note that it is not a heretical concept, but as I mentioned, it's part of what makes up the core of the Christian faith. So it actually has a scriptural basis. If we look at Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4, St. Peter says, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. And so partaking and participation mean the same thing. So I'll read you two uh, patristic quotes. These are also going to be from um, St. Cyril, one from St. Cyril and one from St. Athanasius. So St. Athanasius says, 
For, as partaking of the Son himself, we are said to partake of God. And this is what Peter said, that you may be partakers in the divine nature. And St. Cyril says, they were enriched with that spirit which makes free, even the Holy Spirit. They were made partakers of the divine nature. So you can see that not only is this a scriptural um, concept, but it's also um, founded on patristic quotes as well, that we can participate in God. So it's not a wrong concept, but it's very true, and it's a proper concept to have that we can participate in God. What is the word, the actual word participation? Like, what's the essence of the definition of that word actually mean? Okay, yeah. So, what does it mean when we participate in God, this abstract concept of participating in God? So, participation is actually when a substance receives an attribute, characteristic, or property from another substance. So, I'll read you two uh, patristic quotes. Uh, first one's going to be from St. Athanasius and the next from St. Cyril. So St. Athanasius says, Being the good offspring of him that is good and true son, he is the father's power and wisdom and word, not being so by participation, nor as if these qualities were imparted to him from without, as they are to those who partake of him and are made wise by him, and receive power and reason in him. And St. Cyril says, Fire is hot by nature, and other things are hot by participating in its activity, like iron or wood. So participation means, again, when you have one substance and it is receiving attributes or properties or qualities from another substance. So we're that substance receiving something from, from God. Absolutely. So when, when humans participate in God, we actually receive some, not all, some of his eternal and uncreated attributes. So there are two very nice patristic quotes to demonstrate this point. Uh, the first one is going to be from, actually both are going to be from St. Cyril. So St. Cyril says, just as he, as God, ungrudgingly deemed it necessary to exalt us with his own good attributes. That is why he calls us gods and light. What good titles, after all, does he not give us? And the other quote says, it is by a loose use of terms that properties that truly and strictly speaking belong only to the, only to the divine nature are ascribed to us. He, on the other hand, has these properties in truth, so if one were to examine carefully the nature of created beings, one would surely see that the name and condition of slavery is most fitting for that nature. But when some of us are honored with the glory of freedom, we possess, by loose use of the terms, something that belongs only to God. You know, I, I love these quotes from St. Cyril, but if, if we are participating with God and we're gaining some of his attributes— doesn't, in essence, doesn't that make us God himself? Yes, so this is a very good um, point to clarify, you know, whether or not participation makes me God himself or not God himself. And uh, you'll hear later on that sometimes we are even referred to as gods with a lowercase g. So it can be confusing. So 
Um, no, it does not make us God himself, and it's very important to keep that in our minds so that we keep a clear understanding of this concept. So there are a couple of reasons um, why it doesn't make us God himself. So um, the first reason is not all of the divine attributes are available for humans to possess through participation. So uh, we'll listen to uh, St. Athanasius speak. He says, once more, let them say where the things originate could say, quote, all things whatsoever the Father has are mine, end quote. Now, he has the prerogative of creating and making, of eternity, of omnipotence, of immutability. But things originate cannot have the power of making, for they are creatures, nor eternity, for their existence has a beginning, nor of omnipotence and immutability, for they are under sway and of changeable nature, as the scriptures say. And St. Cyril has a nice quote. He says, Those who follow Christ ought to have the same qualities that made Christ stand out, not the God-befitting properties that are above humanity, since no human can imitate him who is by nature true God, but those that human nature is capable of displaying, not by bridling the sea and doing things like that, but by being humble and meek and putting up with insults. So the first important point to keep in mind is that not all of the divine attributes are available for humans to possess through participation, but only select ones. The other important, or, or another important point to keep in mind is that none of the divine attributes, when we receive them, will ever be in us naturally or essentially or inherently. So we have a very nice saying by St. Cyril of Alexandria. He says, Furthermore, a nature that decays and changes, that is, one that has been created, may never be enriched by an inherent resistance to change. Nor may a creature ever boast in the virtues of the divine nature as if they were its own. If it tried to, it would deserve to be told, quote, what do you have that you did not receive? End quote. And he also says, For to be essentially holy suits not any one whatsoever of those things which from non-existence have been brought into being, but only that supreme nature which transcends all. So this is another important point that even when we receive some divine attributes from God. These are not in us naturally or essentially or inherently, but again, they are being given to us by God as a gift. Uh, the last important point to keep in mind so that I don't confuse participation with actually becoming God himself is that participation does not cause human essence or human substance to change into the divine essence or the divine substance. So we'll read St. Athanasius when he says, but as we, by receiving the Spirit, do not lose our own proper substance, so the Lord, when made man for us and bearing a body, was no less God, for he was not lessened by the envelopment of the body, but rather deified it and rendered it immortal. So you see St. Athanasius here saying that we didn't lose our proper substance when we received the Spirit through whom we participate in God. And also you see that he mentions that our Lord and Savior um, did, not, uh, did not lose his humanity when he was incarnate, although he deified it. So a person that goes through deification or participates in God, 
uh, does not lose human essence. They do not stop being made of human essence. And St. Cyril says, Indeed, talk of the bodies being changed into Godhead's nature is equally as absurd as talk of the words being changed into the nature of the flesh. Just as the latter is impossible, for the word is unchanging and unalterable, so is the former, that a creature could transfer to the Godhead, Godhead's substance or nature, does not come within the realm of possibilities, and the flesh is a created thing. So those three points, the fact that not all of the divine attributes are available to humans through participation, that none of the divine attributes will ever be in us naturally or essentially, and that we do not change into the divine essence, helps us keep a clear understanding that when we do participate in God and receive some of his attributes, we do not change into God himself. Very good. And, and one of those ways that we're able to continue to move toward him you know, is obviously is, is, is the pinnacle of where we meet and unite with Christ, which is at the Eucharistic table, is at that liturgy where we can gain some of his divine attributes. Absolutely. Well, Father, you mentioned um, some of God's attributes being eternal and uncreated. You know, why exactly those two do you specify, you know, God's attribute of him being eternal and uncreated? Right. So we say actually that all of God's attributes are eternal or they are uncreated. And what that means simply is that there was never a time in which they did not exist and then were brought into existence, but they have always existed. Although the, the attributes of God do not have substantial existence, but they do have existence. For example, we say the love of God exists, the mercy of God exists. So because they have always existed and there was not a point in time in which they did not exist, we can call them eternal or uncreated. So I'll read some very nice quotes that demonstrate this. Um, the first one being from St. Athanasius. It says, It is necessary then that we should perceive that in the Father reside everlastingness, eternity, immortality. Now these attributes reside in him, not, uh, not as adventitious attributes, but as it were, in a wellspring they reside in him and in the Son. And adventitious means uh, coming from another source or not inherent or innate. So St. Athanasius even himself is pointing out that they've always been in him. They are not added from an outside source. He didn't not have them, and then they were added to him. He has always possessed them. And St. Cyril is even more clear in his quotes. I'll read two of them. He says, He must be omnipotent, and that this glorious attribute is, so to speak, his without a beginning and without end. And in another quote, St. Cyril says, The divine admits no turning at all or changing to anything unrighteous, but it always shines forth in its eternal attributes. So it's very important to um, keep that in mind that these attributes that we are receiving from God that he's choosing to share with us they are eternal and they are uncreated in that these attributes have always existed and have always been possessed by God. And that's something, you know, we've talked about on this podcast before is that the dimension of time, that God is outside the dimension of time that we think of time. Like he's in a, com he's in a completely different dimension of time, uh, not in a chronological sense that we look at it, but he's in a, in a vertical sense of time. And, and, this, and this concept that we're talking about, Father, is, is beautifully captured and many things that we do in celebrating the liturgy. Uh, for example, you see even just the physical motions in the liturgy 
you'll see that the deacons or the priests are always moving in a counterclockwise manner around the altar. Yeah, you can say, who cares? This is just like logistics, but it's, it's an external expression of an internal truth. And that internal truth is what you mentioned, Father, is that, is that God and his divine attributes are outside the dimension of time. It's, there's no beginning, there's no end. It's counterclockwise. It's against the, the, the way we look at time. Absolutely. And you know, a lot of the rites and the liturgy, although they might seem small and insignificant, pack a great meaning. And so they're there for a reason to teach us these deeper realities about God. So we walk counterclockwise in the Church to help us recall the idea that God is outside of time. You're absolutely right. Well, you, you mentioned in, the, in those quets, uh, quotes that we read by, by St. Athanasius' father, you said, St. Athanasius mentioned immortality as one of God's attributes. But when we, when we hear about immortality, we naturally start thinking about Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so absolutely, it, it would bring your mind to that of, wait a minute, immortality, that's how uh, Adam and Eve existed uh, prior to sin, because we hear in the Prayer of Reconciliation that death entered in the world through the envy of, envy of the devil. So, yes, Adam and Eve initially were created participating in God, and through participation, they received the attribute of of immortality. So I'll read you um, some patristic quotes to demonstrate that. So St. Cyril says, But seeing that he ought to be not merely rational with an aptitude for doing good and right, but also a participator in the Holy Spirit, he breathed into him, so that he might have brighter marks of the divine nature within him, the breath of life. This is the Spirit furnished through the Son to rational creation and shaping it into the sublimest, that is, the divine, form. And another quote by St. Cyril says, When in ancient times Adam came into being, God made him partaker of his own spirit, giving to him, giving to his nature a most perfect beauty, for he breathed into his face the breath of life. Okay, th that last quote, Father, the, the divine marks and sublime form that St. Cyril mentioned, which one of those come through participation in God? So actually, um, being in the divine form or having these uh, bright marks of the divine nature within us, this is actually what being created in the divine image and likeness means. So uh, if we listen to St. Cyril, he'll explain it a little more clearly. He says, Therefore, just as humanity was formed and came into being in the beginning, so also it is renewed. And just as then it was formed into the image of its creator, so also now it is refashioned by participation in the spirit to the likeness of its maker. And in another quote he says, We are conformed to the true and exact image of the Father, that is, to the Son, and that his divine beauty is impressed on our souls through participation in the Holy Spirit. So in the beginning, when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, they initially were created participating in God, and this participation in God is what having the divine image and likeness of God is all about. And I love, like, impressed on our souls. Like, I, the love of God the Father can be impressed on our souls. Like, I, I love uh, that term that St. Cyril is using. You know, I love what we're talking about, Father, is that participation in God allows me to receive some of his attributes in order for me to become one with him. And we see that in one way through uh, celebrating the Eucharist of participating of, of his divine uh, body and blood. 
So if I'm participating in God, couldn't I just say, okay, you know, I'm participating in God. I had communion at some point on this day, whatever. Like, I'm already one with God. Like, I'm already gaining some of his his attributes. Couldn't I just say it's a one-and-done kind of thing? You know, it's a very good point to bring up. Um, so someone could be tempted with that thought of, you know, I participated in God, whether it was through baptism, whether it was through chrismation, uh, whether it was through um, the divine liturgy and, and partaking of the body and blood of Christ. And so I participated in, in Christ. I participated in God. And, you know, I received the attribute of immortality. So, you know, that's it. It's a done deal. You know, I'll just go continue to live my life, maybe outside of the church, or I won't be active in church. And in the end, uh, when I die, you know, I know I participate in God at such and such a date. So it's very important to keep in mind that participation is not a permanent process, but it is reversible. So St. Athanasius says, for things which are from participation are called like, not in reality, but from resemblance to reality, so that they may swerve or be taken from those who share them. So here he's very clear that when you, re- when you possess something through participation, you have the capacity to lose that thing also. So it's important for us as Christians not only to participate in the sacraments, which allow us to participate in God and thus receive some of his divine, uncreated, eternal attributes, but it's important for us to continue to live our sacramental life, because if I neglect this process of participation, because it's reversible, I can lose those attributes. I can lose eternal life, which God has extended to me, and he wants me to have, provided that I continue to live an active, dynamic relationship with him. You know, our relationship or our participation with God is not static. It's not something that happened once, and that's it, but it's dynamic. It's ever-growing, and being that it can grow, it can also regress. So it's important that we keep in our minds that I always have to be growing in my relationship or participation in God, and that if I become negligent, it can regress and go the opposite way, and I can end up not inheriting eternal life. And we cannot forget that everything we're talking about, Father, is based on a relationship. Like, we can't think for one second that, oh, you know, this is just a checkbox. I can just click this checkbox, or I just marked this saying, yes, I had, uh, you know, I was baptized. I had communion at one point, just like you mentioned, Father. It's not a checkbox, but it's a relationship, that it's it's dynamic, like you mentioned. And this, and this can be applied to any relationship. You know, I'm married. I can't just say, oh, I went on a date at some point at what year with my wife, and then that's it. Like, we're married. No, but it's a relationship. It's dynamic. It has to continue to grow. And that's, that's true for any relationship. So, of course, it has to be true with our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Father. We would love to kind of go a little bit more into this uh, in the next episode for part two. So uh, stay tuned. Participation in God, uh, part two will be next. Thank you so much, Father. Thank you so much. You have been listening to Meet and Write. For more episodes and resources, make sure to check out CoptichHymnsInEnglish.com.